Hello, everyone. I'm Tony Denbach, the lead pastor of Clearview Community Church, one church in multiple locations serving the Georgian Triangle region. Thank you for watching or listening today. Now, I've been a pastor for about four decades, and I have often heard from people that they don't attend church because there are hypocrites there. Well, the truth is, there are hypocrites in every church, but there are also hypocrites in every walk of life. We wouldn't be surprised, and we shouldn't be surprised by that, but it doesn't change our responsibility. If you are at all familiar with the words of Jesus in the Gospels, one thing you will clearly note for sure is that Jesus had no issue with calling out hypocrites. Now, surveys have revealed as well that the younger generations in particular are unwilling to put up with hypocrisy. So let's ask the question, what is a hypocrite? One dictionary definition says that hypocrisy is the practice of claiming to have moral standards or beliefs to which one's own behavior does not conform. Now, author J. Warner Wallace writes that when someone claims to believe one thing, but continually and unapologetically practices another, they can accurately be described as hypocritical. Now again, please remember, hypocrites are everywhere. They're in the church, in the schools, in the government, in the workplace. Wherever there are people, you can be sure there are hypocrites. But here's the thing. You don't want to be one of them. Now, this is the theme of our message today from the Gospel of Luke. And we're looking at a lengthy section found at the end of chapter 11, beginning in verse 37 and going all the way to the end. Now, remember that Jesus has begun the long journey to Jerusalem, where he knew he would be betrayed and crucified. And he was beginning to call out directly the abuses that he saw in the spiritual leaders of Israel. He had just declared that they willfully closed their eyes to the truth of who he was. And we pick up the narrative from there. Now, just before I read it, let me explain. You'll hear Jesus say, woe to you, Pharisees. Now, we don't use that word anymore. But what it meant was that their actions had brought them under judgment from God. It was his way of saying, look out, judgment is coming. So here's what it says in the scriptures. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people! Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now, as for what is inside you... Be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Woe to you, Pharisees because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, because you are like unmarked graves, which people walk over without knowing it. 
one of the experts of the law answered him, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. Jesus replied, And you experts in the law, woe to you, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Woe to you, because you build tombs for the prophets, and it was your ancestors who killed them. So you testify that you approve of what your ancestors did. They killed the prophets, and you build their tombs. Because of this, God in his wisdom said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and others they will persecute. Therefore, this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that has been shed since the beginning of the world, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. Woe to you experts in the law, because you've taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered, and you have hindered those who were entering. Now, when Jesus went outside, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something he might say. Now, as we look deeper into these verses, let's note that Jesus speaks specifically here to two distinct groups of people. The first are the Pharisees, and the second are the teachers of the law. Now, let's define those first. Pharisees were a sect of Judaism known for their strict religious observance, while teachers of the law were experts in interpreting religious texts, particularly the Torah. Now, both groups faced criticism from Jesus for their shortcomings and their failure to embody the true spirit of God's teachings. So let's begin to break this down so that we can learn from it and hopefully apply it to our own lives. What behaviors does, do, does Jesus specifically call out as clearly wrong? Well, first of all, judging others by human standards. It doesn't take long for Jesus' host to find something about Jesus to criticize. He was immediately surprised that Jesus didn't do a ceremonial washing of his hands before the meal. Now, just so you know, this had nothing to do with hygiene. This was about ritual. It was not a part of the law, but was one of the man-made rules that the Pharisees had added that they expected everyone else to adhere to. Well, Jesus simply refused to play the game. He knew that this had nothing to do with morality, but it was about feeling superior or better than others. Now, a pastor who had just been selected to lead a large church showed up dressed as a homeless man. He entered the church and he greeted people, but most ignored him. He sat near the front, but the ushers asked him to move to the back. He sat through the first part of the service. And then the elders who were in on this called on the new pastor to come and share. People applauded excitedly, looking around, and then they noticed the homeless man walking down the aisle towards the front of the church. He took the microphone, and he began to share the rejection that he had experienced that morning from those who had professed to represent Jesus. Many in the congregation wept. Others hung their heads in shame. He asked them to start following Jesus, and he dismissed the service. It was a hard lesson. Mother Teresa said, if you judge people, you have no time to love them. 
Now, this leads directly to the next behavior Jesus is trying to correct. It's looking on the outside and ignoring what's on the inside. See, Jesus told the Pharisee that washing his hands was like cleaning the outside of the cup while leaving the inside filthy. So in his reply, he pointed out the fact that they were concerned more with appearances than with the condition of their heart. He basically told him to forget the ritual washing of his hands and go and love his neighbor instead. Now that's good advice for all of us. And Jesus goes so far as to call this religious man a fool. Now that's strong words, but Jesus was making the point that it's foolish to look the part on the outside without having the goods on the inside. It's like a facade for a movie set. It might look good for the camera, but if you open the door to what looks like a building, you find that there's nothing there. Now, when I was a teenager, I fell into this trap. I looked the part on the inside, or on the outside, and I attended church. I did all the right things. I pretended to be a sincere follower of Jesus. But for the rest of the week, I lived as I pleased. Well, Jesus calls this out for what it is, hypocrisy. And the only antidote for this is a new heart. And the only way to get one is through genuine repentance, an acknowledgement that we're wrong and we need to change. Jesus then calls out another common behavior, and that is substituting minors for majors. See, Jesus in verse 22 speaks of the practice of tithing. Now, tithing originated in the Old Testament, and it was the way in which those who gave their lives to serve as priests and ministers were able to survive. The people of Israel would give 10% of their income to support those who served. Now, the Pharisees had taken that to the extreme, such an extreme that they would divvy up 10% of the spices that they grew in their garden and bring that to the temple. And of course, they would make a big show of this. Well, Jesus here isn't even criticizing the fact that they're tithing on these little things. What he's drawing attention to is the fact that they were doing this while treating their neighbors unjustly. They were taking care of these minor details to make themselves look good while they were neglecting loving people. Here's what legalists do. They come up with a to-do list by which they can measure themselves and others. The problem with that is that you can usually do everything on that to-do list and leave off the most important things. Jesus declared that the two most important commandments are these, love God and love your neighbor. He said everything else follows after that. Now, the problem with the Pharisees was that they had things out of order. Here's a good test for you. If you can do everything on your list and never make a positive difference in the life of another human being, you have your priorities out of order. Full stop. Go love people. Next on Jesus' list of wrong behaviors was this. Trying to look good to people instead of honoring God. In verse 43, Jesus said, Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. They lived to impress. They wanted to be noticed. They always wanted to be in the front. They wanted to have the best seats at the banquet or the front row at the synagogue. Why? Well, because they viewed themselves as better than everyone else. Their religion was about impressing others. That's why there were so many rules involved in it. 
It's easy to impress when you can check off all of the things that you have done that make you good and special. The problem with them was that they had the wrong checklist. God had given them one list, but they had made another. Jesus taught us that it was a good idea to sometimes do your good deeds in secret. God sees your heart. He sees what you do in secret and will reward you openly. If you are only doing good so that people will pat you on the back, he says, then you already have your reward. That's it. You don't get anything else. Now, there are a lot of other bad behaviors in this section of Scripture. For example, teaching their hypocrisy to others and making faith complicated. See, verse 44 seems a little strange. It says, Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. Well, you see, there was an Old Testament law that said that people who came into contact with a dead body were considered ceremonially unclean for a period of time. But the Pharisees added to that law and declared that anyone who walked over someone's grave, even by accident, was unclean. Well, Jesus was using that example to illustrate what effect the Pharisees' behavior was having on the rest of the people. See, the Pharisees pretended to represent God. And so the average person thought that they needed to imitate them to please God, when actually the reverse was probably true. Their hypocrisy was kind of like a disease that was spreading to those around them and making everyone else unclean as well. Well, Jesus then switches targets, and in verse 45, we read, One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. Well, this refers to one of the teachers of the law I referred to earlier. He didn't want to be lumped into the same category as the Pharisees. But Jesus didn't apologize. He doubled down. In verse 46, we read that Jesus replied, And you experts in the law, woe to you, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. And in verse 52, he says, Woe to you, experts in the law, because you've taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered, and you have hindered those who were entering. Now, how were they doing this? Again, they just kept adding to the law that God originally gave to help the people. Now, if you remember, if you know the Bible at all, you know there were 10 commandments given by God to Moses for the people. But by the time of Jesus, there were 613 laws called the tradition of the elders. Well, the teachers were famous for explaining how these laws ought to be practiced, but not so good at helping the people in any practical way. So these teachers of the law, these experts, kept pointing at a religious practice that they said would give the people favor with God. It hadn't worked for them, and it wasn't going to work for the people. That's Jesus' point here. Jesus has been declaring that he is the way to the Father, and the experts in the law were saying that it can't be that easy. There are rules to follow, don't you know? Well, between verses 46 and 52, Jesus pulls no punches. He lets, lets the experts in the law know that what they were doing was exactly what their ancestors had done in killing the prophets that were sent to them by God. They were building tombs for their ancestors who did those things, and God would hold them guilty for the death of the prophets because of the conditions of their own hearts. So what's the point here? 
Well, hypocrisy is a deadly disease and something that we all need to watch out for. As C.S. Lewis wrote, how difficult it is to avoid having a special standard for oneself. So how do we avoid hypocrisy? Two things, be honest with God and be honest with yourself. In 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, it tells us that man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. See, God's not into appearances. He knows us better than we know ourselves. The Bible tells us in Romans 3:23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Each of us is far from perfect. We just need to be honest enough to admit that. Because we're sinners, we need God. That's why Jesus came. Romans 6 and 23 has two parts to it. And the first part says the wages of sin is death. That's the bad news. Each of us is under a death sentence on our own, but the verse goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, Jesus declared that the reason that he came was to give his life as a ransom for many. The penalty for sin was death, but Jesus took our place. We can live and have a relationship with God because of him. That's the good news of the gospel. Now, being honest with God means admitting that we really aren't perfect. Being honest with ourselves means admitting that we need what God is offering. 1 John 1 and 9 tells us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. I invite you to pray with me right now wherever you are. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me, even when I didn't know who you were. Thank you for being willing to pay the ultimate price so that I would not be lost. I confess to you today that I am a sinner and I need you. Please forgive me. Thank you for your grace. Help me to learn what it means to follow you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, if you have prayed that prayer, we would love to connect with you. And you can reach us at clearviewchurchatrogers.com. So, go from this place with the confidence that God has come to us. He has sought us, He has found us, and He has redeemed us. Be inspired by His grace, humbled by His love, and empowered by His Spirit. Let Him live in you and through you. May you be His hands and His feet in a world in need. Thank you for joining us today. God bless.